Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. So welcome to the Progressive Property Success Stories. This is an old segment with a new lease of life and our intention is to do one of these per month so you need to keep watching. Now this month we are very excited to start off with our very own Nick Thor, PPA mentor. So for those who don't really know Nick, I'll do a mini overview and then let you jump into it. So Nick has been a mentor with the Progressive Property Academy for around about eight years now, having sourced over 450 properties, built developments up to a GDV of 8 million, having built and exited multiple businesses he is well well versed to be able to help and support you so welcome Nick and thanks so much for joining us thanks very much so I've done a mini overview but you tell us a little bit of a background in terms of kind of life before progressive life before property what were you doing and, and give a bit of context to the listeners and the watchers yeah great um so uh yorkshire boy yorkshire yorkshire man now i suppose uh and um yeah grew up in kind of um pretty rural area pretty standard you know upbringing <laughs> and then um the first kind of career choice the first chapter of my life was the military so i kind of ran away joined the army <laughs> and um yeah, kind of lived a, a bit of a boyhood dream, um, joined as a soldier, managed to commission, you know, left left as a kind of a, an officer um, in the army. And I did para commando training and all the bits and bobs in between. A, so a bit of a change into the property world. Very similar. It kind of set me up for... Um, Carnage. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for all things property, really. Um, and that was kind of the, So 16 years up until kind of late 20s, early 30s. Um, and I kind of left with a, you know, a dream of, you know, buying some houses and living off the rent. <laughs> so you actually had that as a plan upon leaving the military? Yeah. I, well, I, I, my plan was to do something in business. And I was looking at, you know, the standard army officer route of consultancy or security, you know, cons- work somewhere or, um, yeah, that, that, that kind of vibe. And I, I think I was, I was offered a a couple of jobs, you know, project management, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And yeah, my, I thought, well, I'll buy a house. And, and I did it all like no training, nothing. You know, I was like, I'll buy this house and I will, you know, live off the rent, you know, bought it cash. My first house cost me £39,200. Yeah. Not even a deposit in today's world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then I, I kind of, you know, rented it for like £450 a month. And I was like, and then I, and then I, I got it, refinanced and revalued it was you know 70,000 and I took about 40 grand out and I was like hang on a minute I've got a house and I've got all my money back and I'm getting rent I'm onto something here yeah so that's how you got started you came up with a vision of buying one and obviously built a very successful portfolio how did you then kind of move into the niches that you did because you've done an array of property strategies you've you know built a successful portfolio you know those figures are not insignificant figures over 450 properties sourced and we were talking before we hit record today that's not just source that's sourcing the properties end-to-end service managing the refurbs putting the tenants in place filling the properties with furniture because you've got quite a few different demographics how did you kind of create a business around it from what is ultimately a very different background? Yeah, um, I, it, it was quite simple. Um, 
people started saying, can you do that for me? Mm-hmm. So I, I hopped on the education bandwagon. I found Progressive and you know signed up for, for whatever I could. I got, I got kind of um, on their uh, PPA package as it, as it was then and a few of the training courses. And yeah, pe- people were like, I don't know how to do this. And I'm like, well, I've just been doing it by myself and we, we grew you know really really quickly and like anything the first couple of years I probably did four or five properties mm-hmm. and you know I was doing everything myself refurbishing you've done all the legwork qualified as electrician a really rubbish electrician <laughs> <laughs> um, I you know plastering watching YouTube how to plaster fitting the kitchens all the stuff and so then fully immersed in it yeah yeah ma- massively and then I was like hang on a minute I'll get some people in to help me mm-hmm. and that's where it grew and is that how it leveraged because how was your how did property then change your world because obviously from being in the military for 16 years how did it how did your life change as a result of that I mean it, it's hard it's not in it's not an easy industry to be in and you know that's why I laugh when I said I had this dream of uh, buying some houses and living off the rent. Yeah, absolutely. But you forgot know, the bit in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's just so many external influences, so many factors. I think it's just one part of a an ecosystem. You know, I grew a group of companies. You know, one of the things was a oh, byproduct of refurbishing a property. You put a tenant in. Oh, I need to. You know, there's a letting agency. That's the byproduct. Yeah. So I was like. Well, I'll try handing it out, didn't work. I'll try partnering with someone, didn't work, right? I'll bring it in-house. And that was kind of my mantra with all of it, that by having it in-house, it meant that um, I could control it, I could protect it. So it was an asset creation machine and then an asset protection machine. Makes total sense. So actually, there's a lot of kind of pull from what you'd done previously, I suppose. A lot of transferable skills that moved and got you into property. So you it wasn't falling into it. You had an intention. You built a business around it. And I'm sure, you know, doing it for the duration of time that you have done, you have undoubtedly going to have had some big wins or some big challenges along the way. Tell us something out of that, a win or a challenge. Uh, probably one of the massive challenges was um, the first development I did. You know, it was a, it was a HMO that we're converting to four flats down in um, Brighton. I live in Leeds. Um, so remotely done as well? M- significantly remotely. And the numbers were like, ooh, we're going to make some money on this. <laughs> um, and about 18 months later, because of builders and, you know, our, our fault, you know, I'm, I'm not going to blame anyone. It was, down, it was down to kind of to me but you know the contracts and the way it was set up and professional fees and um you know lenders all the all the bits and bobs that are involved i broke even which actually is not, it's a not bad that thing bad yeah, yeah, you yeah. Hear some of the horror stories of people who aren't educated in those areas because some of the things you're saying is all the contracts and the contractors and the you know additional costs would it be fair to say that it was a kind of a lack of experience in that that led to um, it being a challenge uh, uh, yeah, a lack of, you know, I think one of the massive takeaways I've learned from all my time in business is having the right contract protects everything. And and it had it all, but there were ways around it and there yeah. were ways that, you know, you, you kind of kind of like health and safety, you know, when someone trips over something, a policy comes in place and someone else doesn't. And that's the same you learn as you go, don't Absolutely. you? Paint by numbers. So. so you did say your first development. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. although you broke even, which for, you know, for a challenging development, breaking even is huge. It's a great thing. But obviously you've had some major successes there as well. Yeah, well, the second one was worse than that. So that was a loss. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, partnered with the wrong people within yeah. that within that kind of business. And um, 
yeah, that, that was a that was a resounding loss. And then the third one actually was phenomenal, you know, a high six figure, you know, payout. Nice. Um, yeah, it was very, very good. I, I actually exited and got a payout partway through. Nice. So you only yeah. got halfway through and still done it. So mm-hmm. I think that the lesson, I suppose, for many people here is perseverance and continuing forward because the the point we've made here is you know you've moved from one to another to another it didn't stop you yeah you know that continually moving forward and consistency so what niches did you then settle into because you've done a lot of different property strategies and developments yeah i got really good at hmos and um in the area in yorkshire where i operate you know i found kind of nicely spots where you know four to seven bed the mo- the biggest i've done is 28 bed hmo but four to seven beds hmos yeah and 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 i and i tried different sectors and different markets and for quite a long time i focused massively on the student sector mm-hmm. that that was an area that um the payment you know for, for lots of reasons we'll go into you know it it, it just um yeah it, it fitted the product and the market environment so timing as well as timing, time served as a yeah, result yeah. of it. So one of the things that we did look at earlier on is just to give you some statistics around this. During 2021-2022, in the academic year, there were 2.2 million full-time and sandwich students within the UK, 2.2 million. Of those, almost 350,000 are occupying, provide and maintain property, but over 201 are in the private sector hall. So the largest share of that student accommodation, 2.2 million, is almost 600,000 occupied in other rented accommodation. So the type of properties that Nick is talking about there. So this is something that obviously has been around for a long while. You've been doing it for a long while. And there are undoubtedly going to be massive opportunities in this. So tell us a little bit about... um, how you kind of got started like what why student accommodation yes the the location but obviously there's many other sectors that you could have chosen why students um so i can give you some stats as well Go. if you want because I, I remember them um the town i was operating in 168,000 population um it's probably a little bit higher now because of covid i suspect um and um the students attending the university was 22,000 students with about 11 and a half to 12 requiring accommodation and I did a really simple you know assessment of the area going what what accommodation and there was enough there Mm -hmm. but the interesting was the student halls where the first years were going was out of town 30 minutes drive so there was a bus going backwards and forwards Um, it wasn't my primary market first years yeah Um, but the the remainder of the stuff was I would say landlords have done really well for a lot of years, you know, the jumble sale kind of yep. properties. That, and there's nothing, it's a strategy, but yeah, it was, you know, as soon as I brought this funky Ikea furniture in, or even we got more bespoke stuff in, you know, yeah. direct from manufacturer, you know, decent furniture that would weather students. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, um, yeah, it, it, it really worked that um, that was the niche. I could make it look mm-hmm. very good. And at, at a you know decent cost, 
And I think that's the key, isn't it? Having a good understanding of it because a lot of people will look at the likes of student accommodation. I know that when I first started looking into property, the assumption was what you saw, the jumble sale. Yeah, yeah. You know, mismatch, I got this out of the local skip. My aunt was giving this sofa away, you know, yeah, nothing yeah. matches, everything's been thrown together. So you picked a bit of a niche in that way. Would you say it was kind of a boutique style or was it just the, the calibre of of the furniture, et cetera, and the decor? brought in a different caliber of client so interesting i think when you start with this stuff you know you go right what do i like and then actually the lesson is obviously you go well, what's required <laughs> so when i started it was either a lime green or a bright orange or a mustard wall nice. that was the feature which i still think is not bad it worked but as soon as i employed a full-time interior designer within the company changed it, it, yeah you know it was just you know you go from it was a game changer. Now that's the standard now. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't then. You know, like having grey carpets and you know white walls and grey doors, uh, that was not there. Yeah. Every, it was it was this back in the day when everything was like Coca Cola coloured carpet and magnolia walls yeah, yeah, and absolutely. whatever you can fit in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So with that in mind, obviously one of the things that Nick's just been saying is the kind of bringing people in house, the business setup. That's something that you've replicated in all different areas within property, but making sure that it's fit for purpose for the demographic and just to look at those kinds of students have changed. It's not back in the day when I went to university where anything went, you know, they want really high quality, really good decor, fit for purpose. So UCAS predicts that the undergraduate student numbers are likely to continue increasing until 2030. So it's not that the boat has sailed. There is still a massive demand. If we couple together those figures of nearly 600,000 in private rented accommodation, it does state that there are accommodation shortages, according to UCAS. They are forecast to become more widespread, with students predicting a shortfall of 450,000 student beds by 2025, which is just a phenomenal figure. So with that in mind, if you are sitting there thinking, I'd love to get involved in student accommodation, student lets, what kind of top tips would you give to people getting started right now if they were to start out now with student accommodation? Cool. Great question. <laughs> and I have prepared some top tips, which is love uh, it. handy, isn't it? I'm in the right place. Um, so yeah, uh, first thing is is having the right location. That I, I found that really, really important um, because you don't want to be too close, but you don't want to be too far away. And you've got to think about um, what's around as well. Because quite often my target market, it wasn't the first years, it was the second, third years, mature students, postgraduates, mm -hmm. perfect you know, because they kind of tend to look after the place a little bit more. But by having stuff in the right location, it really, um, yeah, it meant, it meant it was full all the time. Yeah. So a, a gym, a subway, a, you know, uh, a kind of little supermarket, you know, something along the lines of that, maybe some way to socialise. I'm finding the change in student, you know, people don't necessarily want to be in the city or the town centres. Yeah. They want to be on the fringes of it so they can still have the the lifestyle and the experience best of both worlds yeah exactly so with that research um just to kind of recap it was gym it was a subway it was good social areas it was commutable to the university so not too far away but yeah. obviously not right in the center which where most of the student yeah. accommodation is is either right in the center or as you say you know the first years are in halls of residence 30 minutes plus away so you're focused on the second year and beyond okay yeah. next top tip uh, the students' needs, you know, it's understanding exactly what's important to a student. You know, if you think of 
Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's kind of heat and shelter. And I would add Wi-Fi in there. Except, <laughs> exceptional Wi-Fi is really, really important. You know, you think about um, the space that's required and balanced with, you know, they're learning how to live by themselves quite often. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's making it, it kind of... Um, I was going to say, make, making it kind of relative to, you know, what kind of characters that will be there. Yeah. And, and you've got to think about the demographic of the students as well. Absolutely, because there's not just one type of student. So the education in this part of it is knowing your area is absolutely vital, knowing what the needs are and where are you getting this information from? How are people going to find that out? Um, what the needs? Um, yeah. Ask them, you know. Very simple. The student union's phenomenal. And they're normally really, really um, open to, you know, you go in there and say, look, I'm looking to provide, you know, accommodation for your students. What do you need? Literally finds out what people want and give it to them, which sounds like the simplest thing. But what you're seeing when you're undoubtedly, if you're looking at student lets on the market right now and they're not letting or they look dated or they're shabby or you're looking at where they are and locations are wrong, you know, done the right way it can make you an absolute fortune and it can be a really successful business yep. and provide great homes for people but it can be done incorrectly so mm -hmm. go on give us another top tip uh furnishing really really important how you furnishing really simple example is um our sofas were ply lined underneath so if anyone jumped on them they didn't just bounce through yep. really you know like a hundred little things like that that we learned over the years stuff would last a lot longer so we weren't paying top top you know dollar for um the the kind of strongest best because because we know it would um you'd have a turnover of it anyway yeah, stuff like having the router central rather than the front room yep. stuff like enough plug sockets for everyone stuff like somewhere to hang your coats mm. stuff really really important and also within the kind of furnishing it, it's making sure that they've got everything they they need but You'll find over the years of having these properties that they kind of grow and adapt. It's yeah. like, where did that sofa come from? And why have I got a kind of, you know, five knife sets in the kitchen? <laughs> or, I suppose, yeah. especially if you're looking at the second year and beyond market, people are accumulating their belongings as a result as well. Yeah, yeah. So this is really important to note because a lot of people might think they have to go in and furnish it, you know, with absolutely everything. When, again, speaking to the student union, speaking to the students themselves and finding out what it is that they need. Yeah, yeah. Go on, give us one more top tip. Yeah, fine. Uh, I would say let's talk about the marketing. So how you fill the stuff, you know, lots of other, you know, bits and bobs within this. But the marketing I found really, really interesting. And um, the student union were fantastic because I went into my local student union and said, we want to give the best accommodation you guys have got. You know, would you give us students? That was a really simple... The best market. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, they've gone on to set up their own agency and, mm -hmm. you know, that they, they place them, themselves. And also, I, I looked at um, where the students were coming from. And so, like, I had a website which was translated to Chinese because there was a lot okay. of Chinese students in my area. Yeah. Um, I looked at um, local community areas that, um, you know, perhaps Polish students would um, migrate to and had an in from that side so it was actually knowing your local area knowing the demographics of people who would be moving there the types of places that they shopped etc actually dictated where you marketed yep some really cool top tips there i hope you're all listening to these now obviously there are going to be some challenges what are the kind of biggest pitfalls that people need to avoid when looking at student let student accommodation or those kinds of areas Obviously, parties, because that's what <laughs> students, you know, want to do, which is absolutely fine. You know, it's part of the rite of passage. But it's about 
being respectful of the properties, being respectful of your neighbours and um, making sure that you know, the boundaries are in place. Um, I learned very quickly by having the parents' contact details worked okay. really, really powerfully. A <laughs> little bit yeah. of a deterrent for people. Yeah. Can I ask then, does that come down to your contract? So if we kind of replicate this where you're talking about the success you've had in loads of different areas in business, would that be based on the conversations with them when you're vetting the tenants, discussing with them, getting the parents' details, effectively like a guarantor? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're naughty, I'm going to tell mum and dad. Um, would it be fair to say that that's kind of something that was a learned process from watching other people struggle or, you know, from having challenges yourself in that area and just each time making the process more robust 100 percent. and the contracts that we had you know constantly evolve you know like the challenge right now is the cost of utility bills and you know if if it gets too hot in a property with the heating on the window will be opened rather than turn the heating down (laughs) so we've got to put all sorts of uh, little measures and it's not about you know we want people to be warm and safe and comfortable but also it's got to be win-win yeah um and and um yeah having the right paperwork in place and being you've got to be conscious like with student accommodation the financials are interesting because because they tend to be paid out of the student payouts which are three times a year rather than monthly payouts Mm -hmm. um there tends to be a gap in the summer yeah and it's whether you want you know someone enters a contract for that or you just say i'm going to take the hit which we do because i think that is a more that's a fairer way of doing it. But also, if there's maintenance, it needs painful. You, yeah, you've got an opportunity to get it done as well. Yeah. So with that being said, you know, now is... A lot of people will say, oh, your properties have got to be filled. I know we were talking earlier on about filling them kind of nine months in advance. But for those people looking to get into student accommodation, student property, student let, is now a good time to do that, do you think? I think that you're going to get stragglers at the moment. Most of the groups will have already chosen their properties, you know, quite a few months ago. Um, there'll still be individuals that will be perhaps falling out with their mates or perhaps, um, you know, they'll be, uh, you know... Gone into clearing. Yeah, yeah, a, la- a late addition to university or something like that. Um, there's also an intake in January, um, which, you know, a lot of universities have a much smaller intake, but that's quite... You're still going to get individuals at that point. When we're looking at, um, you know, letting the properties on a whole, we probably start looking January, February to let for, you know, the, the kind of September, August, September. Kind so of planning ahead, this is really useful information, by the way, because if you're planning ahead, by the time you're now, if you're looking at properties, which we're seeing some changes within the market, you know, inflation's affecting it, all of those different things, there's going to be opportunities. By the time you've purchased, gone through conveyancing, done the refurb, especially if it's a, you know, three or four bed house that you're converting into a HMO, you could have these ready rearing to go to hit that January market. Now, this has been short and sweet, and I've still got a ton of questions that I'd love to ask of Nick. If you have any more questions that you want to ask of Nick, you want to know more about student let, you've got questions that we've not yet answered, you want to know about his development, you want to know how good or bad he was as an electrician. Yeah. Um, if you want to know anything about that, put it into the comments. What have you enjoyed? What do you want to know more of? And if it's all right with you, we'll harass you to come back. Yeah, absolutely fine. In the meantime, though, if anyone wanted to get in touch with you, whether that's kind of privately or through Progressive Property, what's the best way to get hold of you? Uh, so I've got a very comprehensive one-paragraph website, which is um, <laughs> www.nickthorpe.me, um, and then also social media, Nick Thorpe. Um, look like this, and my photo looks like this. So We'll put that into the comments for you as well, so you can get hold of Nick. I'm sure he's going to be absolutely inundated. Thank now, you. if you have enjoyed 
anything that we've shared with Nick, all of the content, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell to ensure that you're notified the next time that we go live. If you want more information, you've got specific questions that you want Nick to answer, he's got a wealth of experience, put them into the comments below and we will see you next time. So I've been Tony Gargan. This has been Nick Thorpe. We really appreciate you spending the time. You've heard the success story from Nick, part one, I believe. Um, tune in next time to see what else we have to say.